Welcome to the Edition Wars podcast, where we discuss RPG ideas, compare rules, establish sacred cows, fight about what's best, kill the sacred cows, or at least maybe desecrate them, I'm not sure, and generally geek out over our favorite games. That's not I'm better. I'm Sam Dillon. It's not better. What? Desecrate it's not better? not better? But, 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 uh, it's all good. Anyway, it's I'm Brandis Stoddard. <laughs> and I'm and- Sam Dillon. In this episode, we're talking about ability scores. Excellent. Look, mate. Three generations ago, my ancestors forged the Great Blade Skull Splitter. With it, they won the Goblin Wars, the Hobgoblin Wars, the Orc Wars, the Demon Wars, the Elf Wars, and the Gelatinous Cube Wars. And that one doesn't even make sense, because they don't have skulls. Now, all these years later, the legend of the Great Skull Splitter grows. Offering dice to help you create your own legends, Skull Splitter Dice makes the highest quality dice beautiful dice of both plastic and metal. Want to roll bones that look like bones? Or just something with enough heft to split the skulls of your enemies? Skull Splitter Dice has that and more. Check them out now at SkullSplitterDice.com slash Tomeshow and use the coupon code Tomeshow with all little letters and get 15% off. Now get out there, split some skulls, and build some legends. Okay, so we kind of touched on this topic already because we've talked about two-hit and armor class, and we've talked about skill systems, but we sort of tangentially mentioned ability scores, and and, uh, we mentioned some details and whatnot. So let's actually go through this, and it has a really interesting evolution. So the ability scores are often called stats, okay? And and these are, the thing is that throughout all the editions, these have not really changed. They are strength, intelligence, wisdom, constitution, dexterity, and charisma. That's the order they're in in the OD&D Men and Magic book, the very first 1974 D&D book. And here's what it says about them. All it says is that strength is the prime requisite for fighters. Uh, it aids in opening traps and so on. That's, that's kind of it. I mean, in the fighter section, it tells you what a fighter can do. And because it then mentions that it's the prime requisite for fighters, it's assuming then that you're making the connection between strength being the thing that allows the fighter to do that. Uh, intelligence uh, is the prime requisite for magical types. That's what it says. Also, it affects the referee's decisions as to whether or not certain action would be taken. And it allows additional languages to be spoken. In other words, right off the bat, the, the DM, the referee, might say to a player, you know, I think that you're smart enough to know that that is a really horrible idea. Uh, oh, Sam. Or, oh, oh, Sam, you or, know Gygax or, ran it the other way. <laughs> Come on now. Or your character with his intelligence of eight is not smart enough to think of that thing that you just said. There we go. Uh, so <laughs> wisdom is the prime requisite for clerics. And uh, it says the rating will act much as does that for intelligence. In, in other words, for clerics, you would apply wisdom to everything that you would apply to magic users uh, with intelligence. Constitution is a combination of health and endurance. 
It influences such things as the number of hits which can be taken and how well the character can withstand being paralyzed, turned to stone, etc., etc. Dexterity applies to manual speed and conjuration. It indicates the character's missile ability and speed with actions such as firing first, uh, casting a spell first, etc. And then charisma is a combination of appearance, personality, and so forth. Its primary function is to determine how many hirelings of unusual nature a character can attract. That's uh, it's, Here's what it says. That's not to say that he cannot hire men-at-arms and employ mercenaries, but the charisma function will affect loyalty of even these. Players will, in all probability, seek to hire fighting men, magic users, and or clerics in order to strengthen their roles in the campaign. A player character can employ as many, only as many as indicated on this charisma table. So the, I wanna, the reason I went through all that is I want to point out that in this edition, there is no table yet. Right. So I'm I'm, you know, I'm on page 10. There's no table that says, oh, here's what strength gives you. Here's what intelligence gives you. Here's what wisdom gives you. But when it gets to charisma, there is a table and it says if you have a charisma of this varying amount, you can then have this maximum number of hirelings and they will have a loyalty score that is affected in this way. And. it. Because some of these attributes are prime requisites, basically uh, what it tells you is that if if you are a fighter and you have a high strength, that you could actually earn more experience because you're using your prime requisite to perform most of your tasks that are related to your main jobs, for example. And so that's the other table that uh, references the abilities that if you have, for example, a prime requisite that is 15 or more, you you earn 10% extra experience. If you have 13 or 14, you earn 5%. If you have 9 to 12, you get nothing. But if you have less than that, you get a, a penalty. Yeah. Um, constitution actually affects hit dice or affects hit points. You add a, a plus one to your each hit dice uh, if you have a 15 constitution or more. Um, it says Constitution 13 or 14 will withstand adversity. Talk about open door for the DM, <laughs> right? That's all it says. <laughs> so uh, low Constitution, of course, gives you a minus for hit dice. Uh, dexterity lets you add or subtract, depending on what your dexterity is, add or subtract from your missile attack roll. And that's it. That That's, that's basically two tables and... Um, no other major ability score items related to characters in the first OD&D book. Uh, yeah, so I guess my first thing about that is that this is the one place where I don't sort of get my back up about the XP bonus for high ability scores. When the mm-hmm. only thing a high ability score is going to do for you is give you an XP bonus. give you that bonus. Then, fine. Fine. Unfortunately, for all and sundry, this rule is surviving. Well, dexterity gives you a bonus to ranged attacks. Not not literally the only thing. Constitution gives you a bonus to HP. But I I mean, that's it. That, those two things, and the bonus or penalty to experience earned is it. That's it. That's all your abilities are doing. And... Well, I mean, so that's all that's written, right? Um, so one can presume in the evolution of the game, if, at least during this edition, 
the referee was using those scores as it says in here, you know, well, this person will withstand adversity, but, you know, so that's, that's a key for the DM at that time called referee to, to utilize and adjudicate issues. Right. Right. And so that's, that's what it was for. And that was assumed and understood. And that's just how it worked. And in, uh, the thing I find striking and the, and the reason why I went through all this th in this way is it doesn't even tell you what strength is. Now, that sounds like a dumb statement because strength, I mean, strength is strength. Everybody kind of knows what strength is. It doesn't tell you what dexterity is or what intelligence is or what wisdom is. It just assumes that you're going to take those items at their face value Webster's Dictionary definition and apply that to a persona that you're playing in the game and that the referee is going to use that number between 3 and 18 to adjudicate the response. It doesn't tell you things like, you know, strength, you know, well, we'll get to it, how it describes it in other editions, yep. right? Well, and I think that Gygax um, always blithely uh, throw out vocabulary, assuming that you'd be fine. And mm -hmm. I think we've talked about that before. Of course, of course. Yeah, for sure. Yes. Yeah. So let's move on real quick. We're, we're trying to, we're trying to keep our episodes to an hour or so. So let's move on to, uh, I'm going to skip to, uh, the red box basic edition 1983 um holmes basic same thing you know it, it has the same basic thing because remember that was just really the first three levels of ad and d and then it literally told you now take your characters and play ad and d first edition um and uh and uh mold bay cook very similar um but here's the red box i just happen to have it open so that's why i'm going through it so it's funny in this one because remember the red box took you through a choose your own adventure style setup to show you the rules of the game. And at the end of that uh, sort of setup, uh, it, it now, then it goes through a description of certain things on your character sheet that maybe it didn't give you a full explanation of before. And a couple of pages into that, it talks about um, there's a spot on the, on the character sheet that says adjustments. It's a column next to the, the place where the ability scores are written. And it says, uh, if any ability score is very high or very low, there may be adjustments, which could be good or bad. The adjustments apply to certain die rolls in the game. And uh, an average ability score is any number from 9 to 12. And it does not uh, cause any adjustments to be made. And then it goes through and it gives a paragraph describing each attribute based on this character. So I'm just going to go through one. It says strength. With a low strength score, it would be harder to hit monsters, and you would have a minus adjust adjustment, in other words, a penalty. But your great strength gives you this. It's talking about this specific character. Your great strength gives you a bonus, the plus adjustment. Your plus two bonus helps you in fighting. In It is added to both your hit rolls and the damage you do. It also helps when you try to perform feats of strength, like breaking open a stuck door or lifting a huge rock. The plus two adjustment has already been added to your hit rolls on this character sheet we gave you when we sent you through this pre-written pre adventure. For example, then it goes through all the other ones. It tells you charisma, charisma, uh, your charisma is above average. You get a bonus when you are talking to others, and it affects their reaction, um, and, and and so on and so forth. And when you look at the character sheet on that, if I get to it here, when you look at the character sheet in that book, what you find out is 
ah, let me just go to the back page here, that it says, it doesn't say what the adjustment is. It literally just says strength with a spot, and then it says adjustment next to it, so you can write plus two or minus one or whatever. It doesn't have a, a line that says, oh, this is to bend bars, lift gates, carry, push, pull, anything like that. It just says adjustment. Yep. Okay. And I don't, I don't remember. Let me flip through this book real quick. I don't think there is actually a table in here in, in the basic character guide. Oh, here it is. Uh, here are the, so there's still a prime requisite ability adjustment. Right. Okay. So there's still uh, plus 10%, plus 5%, or minus 10, minus 20%. Um, and then it tell there's one table that doesn't specify strength, intelligence, dexterity, whatever. It just says ability score, bonuses, and penalties. And 13 to 15 is a plus one, 16, 17 is plus two, 18 is a plus three. Note that that's a big difference from OD&D. And then three is a minus three, four to five is a minus two, and six to eight is a minus one. So that's that's sort of more similar to what we have nowadays. Um, but it doesn't. That, it's the same across all the attributes. Whatever your adjustment is, it's the same based on your ability score. But it doesn't. You have to go then to the specific description of that attribute to find out what that adjustment actually affects. Okay, and then we get to first edition. Right. And <laughs> when we get to first edition, we see that. Um, one of the first things it says is you uh, you need to create a character and you have these six abilities. And it, it actually has, of course, as Gygax was wont to do, humongous long paragraphs describing <laughs> what these things are. So you get this, uh, you get this, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but you get strength as a measure of muscle, endurance, and stamina combined. For purposes of relating this ability to some reality, assume that a character with a strength of three is able to lift a maximum of 30 pounds weight above his or her head, while a character with 18 strength would be able to military press 180 pounds in the same manner. Strength is the forte of fighters, for they must physically they must be physically powerful in order to wear armor and wield heavy weapons. Therefore, strength is the major characteristic or prime requisite of fighters. And those fighters with a strength of 16 or more get a bonus. You know, he takes a lot of those mechanical bits and he puts them into this very long wrought prose. Yep. Right. Um, and, and that's fine. But then there are these tables. There's strength table one and strength table two. And I know that you want to discuss this. Well, I do, um, <laughs> because what we have here is uh, all of the ways that uh, class and race start to uh, touch on your ability scores, and it gets real specific. So you have Strength Table 1 that, uh, cover, that has uh, an entry for most of the possible numerical scores from... Um, uh, three to uh, eighteen slash one hundred, and I'll we'll cover what <laughs> eighteen slash one hundred means in a second, because it's a little strange. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, for uh, ability scores of three, four, and five, there's only one class you can be. The only class you can play with those ability scores is magic user. Uh, so I sure hope you have high enough intelligence to be a magic user, and that your because otherwise, and that your spell book uh, doesn't weigh over thirty pounds because you won't be able to carry it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> good, 
good luck, friend. <laughs> um, and then uh, the next uh, point above that is the minimum strength for a gnome, half orc, or halfling character. That, that that's that's a, a minimum again. Um, I'm I'm not I'm sort of not sure at all times what's supposed to happen if you don't meet a racial minimum. That's uh, always struck me as odd. Like yeah. maybe you could just get pushed up to the minimum. Well, you, you, uh, if you just push someone up to six strength, no, no, but you what is lost? Right, but you? but that's when you start doing that that uh, trading of scores that they do, right? Where you can spend yeah. two of one attribute to get one in another, and if you really really wanted to be a gnome, but you only roll the five in strength, then you can lose two dexterity to add it, so that you can be your gnome character. I mean, it's a yeah. <laughs> Sure, but yeah. I hope you can meet the the minimum dexterity. Yeah, well, because there's a minimum for that. Yeah, too. I know, I know. Right, and and, and <laughs> yes. we go through all the ability scores this way, right? Um, and so you see you see minimums and maximums for all kinds of different things. At uh, at fourteen, we have our first maximum. That's the maximum strength possible for a female halfling character, because by God, they are gonna <laughs> be super sexist in in first yes. ed. This this fantasy is realistic to someone's reality. Obviously, obviously in halflings, the vagina sucks all the power out of the arms, right? That's sure. Why not? Yes, I, that must be it, right? Tell you what, I I, I saw uh, Rosie Cotton in Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings, <laughs> and Gary Gygax uh, hadn't at the time mm-hmm. in the nineteen seventies, <laughs> and so I know. That she was at least as strong as Sam. Yeah. I am not confused yes. at this point. Correct. Uh, just to be totally clear, we are absolutely making fun of this because it's horrible. It, we're making fun of it because it's horrible. We do not endorse this in any Correct. way. Correct. Um, and this is a, uh, a rules element that is not going to uh, survive out of first edition as far as I know. Um, if there are any... Uh, sex-related limits on ability scores, then I guess I'll find them in a second when I open that book. Um, and and not to, anyway. not to uh, you know, that it's not just halfling females, it's every race female. Uh, right, though, though 14 is the one specifically mm-hmm. for halfling right. women. Uh, 15 for gnome women, uh, and, and so on. Um, 15 is also the minimum strength for a monk, but of course, monks have to be human anyway, so mm. that's not a problem. Um, n- now, also, you get 18 as the maximum possible strength for all non-fighter characters, because there's a whole bracket of uh, ability scores that are technically above 18 while not yet being 19. Um, so, so let me that just are limited to fighters. So, uh, when. Um... Uh, when this so just for anyone who doesn't have any idea what we're talking about what would happen is if you were playing a fighter character and you rolled your strength and you rolled three sixes you rolled an 18 you then took out your d10s and you rolled percentile dice and your score instead of just being 18 it would be 18 slash whatever your percentile was that you rolled and the percentile there was a whole extra sort of flap at the bottom of this table that tells you what, what, uh, you know, what it is, you know, what attributes are there, or what I don't know what's attribute. Uh, what it tells you what it means if your percentile score was within a certain range, 
that's what we're talking about. That's how that number gets determined. Yep. And so the maximum strength possible for a female human or a male gnome is 18 slash 1 to 50. So you, if you're a female human, God forbid you rolled your percentile dice and you rolled 51. Because that's not possible. You would have to downgrade that to a 50. Um, while I'm uh, while I'm thinking about it, I want to note that there are no um, uh, no sex related limitations on ability scores that I see in uh, second ed, uh, but halflings still are capped at 18 strength and can't have uh, percentile strength above that. Um, anyway, percentile <laughs> strength has always been this this strange idea that. I think sort of amounts to um, ability score generation was getting a little more generous. And so you're seeing more fighters show up with 18 strength, but they still had enough just raw need for machismo and one-upsmanship <laughs> that Gygax sort of inserted uh, 100 different strengths that you could have before you got to hill giant strength at 19 right, right. That, that's my yeah. read on the situation i don't actually have anything more than my impressions of who these people i are. mean i i just feel like there were there for those yeah, there, there, there was no reason to split up 18 into you know you can't just have a raw 18 it has to be you know uh, five different categories of 18 strength. Well, it just doesn't... So there's there's one good reason. There's one good reason, which is that if you want the uh, hit probability and damage adjustment for 19 to be uh, leaps and bounds higher than 18, then you can create that space and have it be a, a fairly smooth progression. Yeah. Right? But they so didn't... the actual bonus for, for 19 strength is... I think plus four plus seven for plus four to hit and uh, plus seven mm -hmm. to damage. Whereas for just 18, it's plus one plus two. Right. But, but so in the player's handbook, the first edition player's handbook, there is no 19, 1800 right. is the end of it. So, but so here, here's my thing though. They didn't split up the number 18 into five different groups for any of the other attributes. Why, well, why well, so, no. import, so important here? Uh, well, attack and damage right. bonus. Okay, which is, is, is my right. argument. Yeah, and there. and I I agree, but I guess my thing is, then just make make it go to nineteen, right? Like, like, like this I, is I a this is a you know oh this one goes to eleven, right? What and why don't you just make ten louder? Well, this one goes to eleven. Well, if you if you have <laughs> right if you have eighteen, why do you have to make it go eighteen one to fifty, fifty one to seventy five, seventy six to ninety? Just go to nineteen, you know, like. It it feels like a, a, a something that combat was becoming really really important, and because here's the thing, Rem remember oh, yeah. that in oh, yeah. original D and D, and and even to some extent in basic, uh, well, in original D and D, combat was really originally intended to be chainmail rules, right? And the yep. combat system that's in OD&D, and we talked about this when we talked about AC and two hit, the combat system that's in there is the alternative or optional combat system where you roll a d20 and you're not using, you know, 
chainmail rules with figures and big wars. And so this is the years between when that was written and when Gary Gygax was writing this, he's trying to find a way to not have to reference chainmail rules at all, but still make things uh, get really, really granular if you if you wanted them, right? Because, you know, think about it. Yep. You're writing this game for a bunch of war gamers. They want to know at the upper end of strength what does that do for combat i mean the difference between a 18 slash 91 to 99 and 18 slash 100 so if i rolled 18 99 i would only get a plus two two hit bonus i would get a plus five to damage and my weight allowance would be 2000 pounds but if i rolled 18 100 one tiny one hundredth you know one percent right one one percent my bonus now goes up by one my damage goes up by one and my weight allowance goes up by a thousand that is a superhero level strength okay just to be that guy it's not pounds it's coins okay but uh, right but it's a weight it's a it's about how much <laughs> right, carry, right yes yeah it absolutely is so it, yeah it's yeah. just a weird no, thing i know so i, I guess i feel like I can kind of understand why it was done looking back on it from modern. I mean, I played it back when it was the current edition. So I understand like it was just part of the game. I didn't question it back then. I was young and I just said, Oh, that's a rule. Okay. Um, I tell you that every time I rolled 18 for strength, it was like, okay, get my percentage out. I want to know exactly what I got, you know? Um, yeah, man, it, getting to roll percentile strength yeah. feels like a reward. Oh, it it did. It very much did. And so I don't know if that played into it during the design, but it certainly was a reward if you were making a character. Um I I didn't care if I had a 6 charisma. I've got an 1899 strength, you know. <laughs> um Right. But I agree with you. I I'm think gonna push the dungeon down. Anyway, <laughs> I agree that there was some, you know, part of it is a pissing contest. Uh, machismo, who's who's got exactly the most more power, you know. Um Yep. But from looking back on it now, seeing how not simple it seems, it just, yeah, I don't know. It's weird. Anyway, let's move on. <laughs> let's move on. So the other ability scores go through the same uh, minimum and maximum tables, um, and they, they're defining things about the, the races with all of this. Um, and uh, let's see. You you get on down into uh, wisdom where um, even middling wisdom clerics get additional spell mm -hmm. slots um, on up through an additional fourth level spell at uh, eighteen wisdom um, and they also have a chance of spell failure uh, if their wisdom is uh, twelve or below. Um, God help you. <laughs> Um, I want to I want to go back to something too because you're bringing up something with wisdom yeah, that I yeah. want to talk about with intelligence and that is <clears throat> excuse me if you were a, a a wizard if you were a magic user and you had a fifteenth a fifteen ability score fifteen intelligence you can't learn spells higher than seventh level you can't learn any eighth level spells you can't learn any ninth level spells forget wish forget gate forget power word spells the most powerful spells in the game the ones that everybody talks about the ones that have 
that have been like cornerstones of, oh my God, that's so awesome, but really probably overpowered, but who cares because it's really cool. You can't cast those if you don't have an 18 intelligence. Yep. So what that also leads to, and that same thing happens with strength and that same thing, but in a different aspect, but that same thing happens with, with wisdom. What happens there is that's why you get this idea of people really wanting high stats. Like when somebody came to the table, you knew what class they were probably going to be based on which one they put the 18 in. Right. Absolutely. Um, and it's interesting also that this is where uh, Gary explains everything about uh, your uh, minimum number of spells per level, maximum number of spells per level, uh, chance to, uh, he says no uh, each listed spell, mm -hmm. but I think that actually means chance to learn if you're exposed to it. Um, yes, because in first edition, to you learn had any to... given spell in the yeah. group. Yeah. yeah. So in if in case you don't know, in first edition, if oh, you were God. a magic yeah. user, if you wanted to learn a spell, you actually couldn't just say, oh, I, I found a scroll. I want to learn that spell. You actually had to roll. And if your roll was not high enough, you could never, ever learn that spell. Yeah. But you would you would go through and roll your percentile chance, um, go, going through all the spells in the, the player's handbook in whatever order you liked it says here until you got to your minimum mm -hmm. and then uh, under acquisition of heretofore unknown spells um, <laughs> you can uh, learn a few additional spells um, only two additional spells if you have a nine intelligence <laughs> and up to all additional spells if you have an intelligence of 19 or more uh, it doesn't exactly say how you do that but we know it's from uh, magical tomes that mm -hmm. increase your ability scores. Right. Um, you, you could learn all spells of a given level. So, yeah. hey, good on you. <laughs> yeah. Also, if you are if you accidentally get into a, a melee scuffle with a creature that drains intelligence, and your intelligence goes down and you're a magic user, um, you have to check again if you're able to relearn those spells. When you're, it's your fault for getting attacked, dude. Right. If you're no. so, so what's interesting about that though is, you know, it's one of those things where um, uh, nowadays, I think people would consider that very cruel, right? That oh, yeah. this person's yeah. uh, intelligence went down; they lost that spell. Now they have to figure out if they can relearn it again once they they somehow get their intelligence, re you know, returned through probably through some other kind of casting restoration or something. Um, and, I think both cruel and an enormous waste of table time. Right, but and but then then they roll to learn to, to know if they can learn it, and then the answer is no. That part is that's wiped from their brain forever for their entire existence. They can never learn it again. That's actually one of the things that keeps magic users in check. Like there's such a huge power difference when you start getting to the higher levels. If you get to the higher levels between magic users and and simple melee characters, that. There has to be some. There has to be some way to keep them in check. Well, this is how. The problem is, these things were not fun at the table, <laughs> so a lot yeah. of people just didn't bother. Right? They just didn't bother yeah. to to recheck that, even if they I, were cool sort of enough DMs that... to to cause you know the 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 magic user to get touched by a, a wraith or something that drained intelligence right. or drained levels, and they lost. I was gonna say, I, I doubt that that much intelligence actually got lost. 
Right. Well, that's what I mean. Like even, but even if the DM was cruel enough to do that and follow through with that and let it happen, I don't know anyone, not that I know, you know, everybody who ever played or anything, but I don't know anybody in my generic general circle of friends who played first edition, actually played it when it was out, who made that loss of learning permanent. Like they said, oh, you have to roll again to see if you can learn that. You know, I just, I do, they just decided, no, no, if you learned it once before, you can learn it again. Yeah. So anyway, we're, we're way off on a tangent. <laughs> this is why our episodes become two hours long. Uh, yeah, that's, that's accurate. <laughs> um, so, so right. Uh, there's not a lot that is super different uh, that we haven't already sort of covered for the other scores here, uh, except that Constitution uh, here introduces System Shock Survival and resurrection survival um, and you can potentially get a few more points per hit die for a very high constitution now system shock survival is when something really catastrophic ha- happens to your body that doesn't in itself kill you uh, i think polymorph um, and a few other strange and terrible things mm-hmm. uh, flesh to stone uh, polymorph and others um, and so you have to make a um, percentile roll or um, just be super dead. And <laughs> I think we should bring this back as a balance to the incredibly broken fifth ed polymorph spell. I'm just going to throw that out there. Just, okay. just system shock survival. That'll, that'll teach yeah. them. It will not uh. teach them. Um, and then resurrection survival is your chance for a... Uh, spell that would restore you from death to just fail. Um, And uh, it also says, remember that a character can never be raised from the dead or resurrected a total number of times in excess of the character's initial constitution score. So uh, that's how many lives you have, basically. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Uh, Assuming you can even get someone to cast the spell. Um, Yeah, it was very, very cost prohibitive. Yep. In this edition. That, that is that is accurate. Um, let me see. Um, so let me, uh, just before we sort of move on or, or talk anymore, I, I want, for the sake of completeness, I do want to give definitions of what these attributes are supposed to mean. Just sure. so that we can, you know, for mo- people who've only played modern editions can kind of get an idea. This is really the first time these attributes have been described. So I already I already kind of read the strength, but I will say that in the actual in strength table number two, uh, he also writes about bend bars and lift gates. That strength is directly related to basically lifting up a portcullis or opening a gate that has been closed, opening doors as in breaking down doors, things like that. Those things are directly related to strength, and it states it unequivocally in the strength section. Regardless of what class you are, right? That's just the that's how it is. When he gets to intelligence, it says intelligence is quite similar to what is currently known as the intelligence quotient or IQ, but it also includes the mnemonic ability, in other words, memory, reasoning, and the learning ability outside those measured by the written word. Intelligence, uh, and then it gives some. Um, uh, you know, game mechanic stuff, but that that's, so it gives you a definition of what intelligence is. It gets to wisdom. It says wisdom is a composite term for the character's enlightenment, judgment, while, willpower, 
and to a certain extent, intuitiveness. And that's why insight, the insight skill ends up being related to wisdom. Yep. It gets, which, you know, of course, one, he didn't have an insight skill, but it gets to dexterity. Dexterity, it says, dexterity encompasses a number of physical attributes, including, including hand-eye coordination, agility, reflexes, precision, balance, and speed of movement. And so, you know, there you go. Uh, and then constitution is a term which encompasses the character's physique, fitness, health, and resistance. As such, it uh, affects hit dice and chances of surviving great system shock, such as being changed by magical spell or resurrected, as you were just mentioning. Um, and then the last thing, charisma, is a measure of the character's combined physical attractiveness, persuasiveness, and personal magnetism. A generally non-beautiful character can still have a very high charisma due to strong measures of the other two aspects. So it spells it out right in the beginning. It's not just physical yeah. looks. And over in the Dungeon Master's Guide, there's a separate but really super similar uh, explanation of abilities um, that goes into some detail as to historical figures who were... Uh, Gygax assumes actually had some charisma mm -hmm. because they commanded armies uh, but were in no way physically beautiful. Right. Um, I I think he's maybe making some big big leaps here, um, <laughs> as opposed to, for example, uh, this person had um, installed himself as the head of a group of uh, fascist thugs uh, in 1933 Germany. Um, no one in particular. Just <laughs> well, just let an me example, let me just I'll, I I, uh, I will that he calls out. I don't know why. Yeah. but uh, there you go. I'll quote. True charisma becomes evident when one considers such historic examples of Julius Caesar, Napoleon Bonaparte, and Adolf Hitler, the aforementioned person you were speaking of. Uh, it says, obviously, these individuals did not have an 18 score on physical beauty, so it's quite possible to assume that scores over 18 are possible. Oh, uh for any one of the named historical personalities would have had a higher charisma score than 18, but it's not about beauty. It's not, it's not, they would not have had great attractiveness, but they had personal magnetism and superb persuasiveness. I think if you're going to take that line, then extra hirelings should give you a charisma bonus. Yeah. Yeah. Because, uh, Hitler probably looked a lot better with an army of brown shirts standing behind him. Sure. Just throwing that out yeah. there. He, he, uh, he, I do not endorse fascism. <laughs> not at all, in any way, shape, Hashtag or form. Resist. Yeah. Uh, he, uh, he also gives some examples in the other attributes, too. Constitution, he talks about Rasputin. He says Rasputin had an 18 constitution. <laughs> and that's some mythologizing, too. Yeah, but, totally. You know what? We can we not <laughs> do 10 minutes on how maybe Rasputin has been over-mythologized. Right. Um, also, actually, in that section, this is totally not about attributes but he he it's it's right on the next page uh, in the dmg there and he talks about dwarves they tend to be dour and taciturn they're given to hard work and care little for most humor they're strong and brave elves are considered flighty or frivolous and they uh do not believe a matter to be of import uh, so they're frivolous uh, they concern themselves with the natural beauty around them you know gnomes are lively and full of humor yeah he gives these very specific 
racial definitions. And the reason I even mention that, other than it just being right on this next page, is that that is part of his basis for putting minimum and maximum scores for those races Absolutely. in those attribute tables. Because he has very specific ideas of what a dwarf is, what a gnome is, what an elf is. And you were supposed to conform to those for the most part. If you played your dwarf out of character, you had to give a good reason why, you know? Or he was going to penalize your experience. Right. That's right. It says so in the experience section. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's right. So anyway... <laughs> So that's that's one that's first edition one e. What what else do you have uh, for that? Okay, so um, uh, next thing I have is Oriental Adventures, um, where we actually do get a comeliness score, mm -hmm. um, because if charisma isn't going to be your physical attractiveness, then something has to be right. I guess. I guess. Right. Um. And so um, Oriental Adventures uh, duplicates all of the ability score tables, um, except that this includes a 19 for strength. Sure, why not? Uh, and then <laughs> has a page explaining comeliness as a score and um, charts out the effect of your charisma score on your comeliness for some reason. Um, and so I guess you can have a much wider range of comeliness scores than anything else. And it's a strange set of choices. I, I don't know, man. <laughs> um, I mean, I, 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 it, it makes me wonder why they put that in Oriental Adventures. I mean, I guess would that be like they were, I mean, that, okay, that whole so, thing is problematic, so, right? But well, well it's, it's super problematic, but I actually sort of know the answer to this um, because it's discussed a bit more in the, the skills section here. Uh, it becomes pretty clear that the expectation of Oriental Adventures was that it would be far less about violence and wargaming and far more uh, social interaction and honorable courtly behavior. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it really goes into a good bit of depth on that, even though the classes are still pretty much all combat features. Right. Um, and to note, there is a long history in mythology of ugly people being more evil and beautiful people being less evil. Certainly. Uh, I, too, have heard of fairy tales. Yeah. yeah. I'm, uh, I'm flipping through Anarthracana right now. <laughs> Of course, this is where you get uh, the single most difficult class to qualify for, uh, the uh, uh, Paladin Cavalier. <laughs> yeah. Um, because it's tough enough to be a, a player's handbook Paladin, but the, uh, the Paladin Cavalier tacks on still more requirements in exchange right. for still more ridiculous abilities. Yeah, and the class limitations on that Paladin Cavalier. Oh right, yeah. There's there's a lot more depth. There's a lot more depth on um, 
ability score requirements and um, how those impact your level cap for uh, non-human races. Yeah. Um, By the way, comeliness is in Unearthed Arcana too. Oh, is it? Okay. Yep. All right, sure. Yep. There you go. Um, so if you are uh, level capped by your race, you can push a little higher than that cap by uh, uh, having really great ability scores in your mm-hmm. uh, prime requisite, or in some cases, uh, still other somewhat related ability scores. Um, yeah. Since um, for a, a, a ranger wanting to, an elven ranger wanting to exceed their level cap needs not only uh, phenomenal strength, but also uh, higher and higher uh, intelligence and wisdom. So that's the thing. Right. But if you somehow have uh, 20 strength and uh, either uh, 19 intelligence or 19 wisdom, um, and the other of those would have to be an 18, just for you to have gotten here, uh, you can get all the way to 14th level ranger. <laughs> cool. If you yeah, can thanks. survive. <laughs> yeah, good luck. Yeah. Um, so that is what I have for first, Ed. And so if you're ready, I'm ready to jump into second. I think I'm ready. I was I was glancing at the thief acrobat to see if there was anything specific because I remembered there there yeah, there are some adjustments for strength regarding uh, standing broad jumps, running broad jumps, and high jumps, <laughs> tightrope yeah. walking, pole vaulting, tumbling maneuvers. All of those things were directly related to how well you could perform those things directly related on a table to your attributes. So as the edition went on and on, of course, more and more things became directly related to the attribute. And remember that all the additions up till now that we talked about, and it will be including second edition as well, they don't have a single unified system where they roll a d20 for everything. So sometimes breaking down a door, you're rolling a d6, right? Sometimes you're rolling a, you know, a d20. Um, But that's part of the reason why there's so many different disparate tables. Sometimes you're rolling percentage dice to see if you succeeded on something. And it's not all related necessarily to a d20. So every attribute had to have these sets of tables because it wasn't always easy to say, well, that's just a plus one bonus because it wasn't always just a d20 roll. It was sometimes a d6 or a d8 or a percentage dice. So, and then with that, I think we can move on from first edition. So the ability scores in second edition are real similar, except that um, there's no comeliness. They've gotten rid of that again. Um, I I don't think they heard about how stupid it was. (laughs) Well, yeah. Um, And I don't know that uh, there's even any significant changes to the meanings of scores except that I think System Shock and Resurrection Survival get substantially retuned. And um, I think you actually lose a point of constitution for real when you get brought back from death, I think. 
Um, yeah, I th I th if I'm recalling correctly, I think you are right. So, um, intelligence well, I know that, gives I know you... that happens in third ed if you uh, get brought back from death and you are first level. You as a point of thought. Yeah. Um, intelligence gives you illusion immunity. Yep. If you somehow have 19 intelligence, good <laughs> luck. Um, well, yeah, I mean, of course. And... That's that's the thing that 2E did explicitly in the in the player's section of, the, of in the right. player's handbook in the very beginning ability score section. All of the ability score tables are extended from 18 down to like 20, 25, something like that. Yep. Are they all? Are they all to 25? Uh, all the are. 25. Yep. Yeah. Um, and in wisdom, if you have uh, a wisdom of 19 or higher, you start picking up a whole pile of immunities mm -hmm. to individual spells. Right. Um, oh, oh, and strength is not 18 zero zero. <laughs> it's what? It's just. Oh, it is. It is eighteen zero zero. It absolutely is. It is. It is still split. So it's not. It's strength is actually not one to twenty five. It's one to eighteen, and then the five other distributions of eighteen, and then nineteen yep. through twenty five. Yep. Uh, uh. And then you have um, <laughs> a very different system for open doors, I believe. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, yeah, they changed leading, it, leading to some some sort of strange parenthetical notation that. Um, <laughs> Right. It's your chance, your additional chance to open a locked barred or magically held door, mm -hmm. um, but only once ever for that door. So, sure. Um, well, it, it has to sp specifically say that because the trying to open it and it's not magically uh, closed, you right. can try that any number of times. Yeah. But it takes time. Um, so, I think this is also the first time that. Um, Oh, so you still have racial uh, minimums and maximums on ability scores, though the maximums are very close to everyone has a maximum of 18. Um, dwarven Dexterity and Charisma and um, Halfling Wisdom have uh, caps at 17. Um, but the thing is, the, the races grant ability score modifications now. Mm -hmm. um, this was true for NPC generation in the first ad DMG, but didn't apply to the PCs. Instead, had to um, thread the needle of their minimum and maximum. Um, and so, um, no, the the races in first edition they had preferences of who, what other races they wanted to hang out with. Right, but they didn't too. have ability scores that that uh, uh, that were affected by you know. Half orcs, for example, were not right. especially strong. Well, it just they weren't allowed to be weak. Right, they weren't allowed to be weak, but they didn't get any bonus just for right. being a half orc. Yeah. So here we have dwarves gaining a point of con and losing a point of charisma. Elves gaining a point of dexterity, losing a point of constitution. Um, gnomes gaining a point of intelligence, losing a point of wisdom. Halflings gaining a point of dexterity and losing a point of strength. Um, note that humans with, with those pluses. <laughs> They still can't go to 19. They still have an 18 right. cap. So right. thanks. Thanks mm -hmm. for that. Yeah. Um, and uh, also, uh, Gnomish Intelligence is the only um, mental or social ability score that gets a bonus. Um, that's going to sort of matter a lot more when we get into third ed. 
um, and they're very picky about what you can ever get a bonus to. You know, there's, uh, I mean, we'll probably address actual races on a different episode, but there are, there are reasons for these things that, that they have stated uh, at various times. Um, And there's a lot of discussion about why are there caps and this and that and all of that. Um, We don't need to talk about that, but just only to point out that this is not new, that this has been part of the game Uh, in in second edition. This was already part of the game leading up to second edition. So it's not like, uh, they did this all new and it's, I mean, it was groundbreaking to build it into the race, but the reasons for it are the same reasons that they had racial, you know, tables that said who could stand to tolerate and, you know, what races could stand to tolerate other races and things like that. And, you know, that there's a long history here of trying to make the races different and also trying to make the races uh, less powerful because there's this strange idea that the benefits they get from having whatever racial characteristics they have outweigh the negative to their ability score. Well, when you are absolutely married to humans get nothing, their special thing is that they get nothing. They're just allowed right. to earn all the experience right. points. Right. Yeah. And they I have mean, no penalty. You're painted into that corner for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, but that's a different episode. So, right. I don't want to get I don't want to get bogged down in that. But just to point out, they they did pretend to have, or they had reasons for doing those things, whether they were good or bad reasons, or poorly executed or well executed, is a, a, a topic for a different episode. Um, and just to uh, circle back to our episode on skills, um, here's where non-weapon proficiencies uh, show up in their fullness, and you have the closest thing that the game has yet seen to a unified system for task resolution. Um, Mm -hmm. And ability scores are right at the center of it. So that's a neat thing. Um, Right. But I think that about covers it for the player's handbook. So now I get to crack open skills and powers, (laughs) and God have mercy on my soul. (laughs) Um, Because basically... Uh, in second ed, they released a 2.5 edition for reasons that, in hindsight, don't make a ton of sense. Um, called skills and powers, well, called, called players option and DM's option. So there's skills and powers, combat and tactics, uh, spells and magic, and high level campaigns. Um, and it is, you know what? I don't have time for all the strange choices here. <laughs> Except to say, because uh, man, uh, except to say that um, every ability score gets split into two parts. Uh, so you've got your your core score, and then it's uh, it's child scores basically. Uh, so strength is split into uh, stamina and muscle. Dexterity is split into aim and balance. Constitution is split into health and fitness. Intelligence is split into reason and knowledge. Wisdom is split into intuition and willpower. Charisma is split into leadership and appearance. And <laughs> I, for the life of me, don't know why this seemed like something you'd want to do, um, except insofar as 
radical customization will always appeal to people and getting to sacrifice some stamina for some additional uh, attack and damage bonuses is obviously the right answer. You know, I I feel like there so, has always been cool. a part of the of the community that really enjoys fiddly bits in terms of characters and and i think this was appealing to them uh, to some extent and you know there there's also still that same kind of idea about making the game your own and and doing things in your game that that feel good to you that makes sense to you and your table and your players and this is just sort of codifying some of that stuff uh in detail in a way that's easily accessible in terms of you know going to the store and buying a book rather than waiting for a once a month magazine or you know because remember right the internet was not a thing still so it wasn't as if you could say huh i have this idea for a different way to think about weapon speed and size and i wonder if anybody's done this before and google it like that just wasn't a thing so to well, no, well you, you go to use that. Some people would go to use that. A, a bullet board system yeah. of some sort. But you know, you get my point, right? I mean, that's... <laughs> IRC? Yeah. Uh, I'm out of my depth. Um, <laughs> but, but you know what I mean? So, I, yeah, I... Yeah, so I, I feel like I get what you're saying. Like, And I, I thought those books were... Uh, okay, I owned them, all right? Um, I'll admit but I don't think I used them. I, I think I looked through them. I appreciated the expanded weapons tables um, just because I like data and tables and shit. <laughs> um, but sure. yeah. I didn't, I never used them in my game. I, I always went for a more streamlined game while playing at the table. While I loved reading rules like that and looking at all the different, you know, things it just wasn't something that i ever implemented so but i'm sure it spoke to some people i mean i mean there's still there's a huge amount I mean, of, sure. of popularity for you know third edition D D even today and for pathfinder and those are very very fiddly in terms of certain aspects and i think that's that same thing uh, like, casting my thoughts back to you know 16 year old hmm. me we really tried to run skills and powers because I thought I was supposed to like, mm -hmm. it's the latest thing. Right. Progress moves forward, right? That's how this works. So I had the books and I tried to run it. And honestly, I just got lost as a 16 year old and as a 17 year old in um, a lot of the real fine detail of, uh, what was going on with these split ability scores and um, Thaco mm -hmm. and M Thaco and all of the sort of bits that are floating around in this. Um, what we did like was the point by uh, class situation. Mm -hmm. uh, each, each class and race was uh, constructed from a point by menu. Um, and then you get into spells and magic and it gets even crazier with a very roll your own style to uh, how your whole spellcasting works. But uh, <laughs> when it comes to getting off topic, I think I can crown myself the reigning champion uh, and we can move on. Uh, beat that, Sam. Can't. 
<laughs> not gonna do it not gonna do it um so so that pretty much brings us up to third um all right well uh where can everybody find you on the internet well i write for tribality.com i also blog at brandisstoddard.com and i have a uh, patreon now excellent uh, I am Sam Dillon. I am at DM Samuel, and you can also find me at RPGMusings.com. I also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash RPGMusings, and I uh, have a show that I host where I run a game. It is called D&D Brief. You can find that on the Don't Split the Podcast Network. Uh, and other than that, thank you for listening, and we hope you're enjoying this show and our, our old man takes on some of the uh editions of our favorite games and don't desecrate any cows. Mm-hmm.